I'm excited. We're going to start a new series this morning titled How to Have a Totally Awesome Marriage, right? We're going through the book of Genesis, and, and so this is out of Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Some of these verses we're going to repeat a little bit. That's okay. We're going to study, study through them. Um, you know, I think it's super important for the church to have healthy marriages. I think that we need that in, in our life, but I want to encourage you, if you are single or divorced, stay with me. I think, I think you're going to get some things out of this also. So this is also for you. Don't, uh, don't skip the next three weeks because, because you're single or divorced. It's okay. I promise you the God, we're, the God is going to speak to you out of his word. Amen? Because he always does that. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2 this morning, um, we are going to start in verse 4. And um, we're just moving along in Genesis. We, we are moving along here. Okay, verse 4. Say amen if you're there. Okay, most of you. All right, that's good. You guys are fast. It's like a sword drill. One of those like, oh, I got the word already. Okay, I'm good. Okay. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and in, in the, in the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made this made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. For, excuse me, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15 for me. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All the guys say amen. amen. Yes. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, no, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up, his, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because he, she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, for your word. I thank you for the way that you speak to us and how you created marriage and instituted it, Lord. I pray as we go through these messages, I pray, Father, that you would 
bless the marriages of this church. Bless the singles of this church to find who you have for them, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that should be an unbeliever, a testimony to unbelievers in the world, is marriages in the church, right? After all, God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. That was a God-instituted thing. And so that honestly should be a, a, a testimony to the world. We should have the world coming to us and saying, why is your marriage so good? And how can I get there? Right? That, and when they do that, we should be able to go, Jesus. That's how. That's why our marriages are the way they are, because of Jesus. And that's a testimony to the world. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. These messages are going to kind of build up one upon each other. But the, the thing I want to talk to you about this morning is that we need to have Jesus-centered marriages. Jesus-centered marriages. Now, let's, let's make sure we're real clear about this. There is no perfect marriage. Doesn't exist, right? We have three parts to a marriage. We have Jesus, who is perfect. We have the wife, who is not perfect. We have the husband, who is far from perfect. All the, all the ladies laughed at that one, right? We can testify to that. It's okay to admit that. And so until we are either dead or we are caught up in the sky with him, we are not perfect. So there is no perfect marriage because we have to stop viewing marriage as a destination because it's a journey. Let me say that again because it's really important. Marriage is not a destination. It's a journey that never ends, right? It's real important that we understand that because here's what happens to many, many couples. Everything is about the special day. Everything is about the wedding day, right? It's the, it's the couples that spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on their wedding day, and they maybe even prepare for over a year to get ready for it, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But that is the, the, the point of their marriage. They view their marriage as a destination. And the day comes, and there's so much excitement, right? Except that the bride's fighting with her mom and the mother-in-law because everything has to be perfect. The, the dress has to be perfect. The hair has to be perfect. The decorations have to be perfect. The music has to be perfect. Because this is the day that she has waited for her entire life. And it finally comes. It's here. The moment has come and she walks down the aisle and she says, I do. And her brain is flooded with dopamine. It's euphoria, right? And then you get a week after that. What happens? Re <laughs> reality sets in, right? It's a little bit more difficult than you thought. Now you have to go and you live with the person that you said I do with. And it's kind of a letdown, right? That The day is over. The wedding's done. Now what are we living for? What's the point? And if and if and if if your if your marriage isn't built on anything substantial, the first big fight, the first problem in your marriage. Sometimes it ends in divorce, right? It ends with the breaking of that relationship. It happens to a lot of couples. And in our marriages, we want to be Jesus 
centered. Now, I'm going to overwarn you. I'm going to use the phrase, talk a little bit about getting busy, not in a crude way, but just there's kids in here. I understand that, but it's going to be mentioned throughout this sermon series, just so you know. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. But what happens when you're married and your marriage is built upon money and your spouse loses their job and they aren't making the money that they used to make and they can't find one? Well, the the marriage starts to crumble, right? What, What happens when your marriage is built upon your kids? Well, when they get older and they move out, all of a sudden you have two people that don't know each other very well living in the same house. Happens to a lot of people. What happens when your marriage is built on sex and the newness of it is gone? And, and, and all of a sudden, new temptations walk into your life. Problems. Problems are what happens. But when your marriage is built on Jesus, he becomes the center of what you're all about. No marriage is perfect. But when Jesus is the center... You come back around him. You don't want fights to break you up, right? And I know this is really going to be hard to believe. But you know Tracy and I have fought before. Yeah, we've had some arguments. I know it's hard to believe. I know, but we've had our fair share of arguments before. We, we may not have gone through what other people have gone through, but we've had fair share of struggles, hardships, and whatnot. I can be angry and controlling. She is always, and I mean always, the perfect angel. I always. If I didn't say that today, I was going to get in a lot of trouble. One time we were in this, this big argument, and, and I was being my typical smart Alex self, and she might have thrown a plate at me, which I caught. And she was so impressed that I caught this plate that it completely ended the fight. We still to this day talk about my cat-like reflexes because I was able to catch that plate. (laughs) Yes, yes. We've had moments I've slammed doors. She's hung up the phone on me. We fought about the temperature of the house. I like it warm and toasty. She likes it a little chillier, like (laughs) Sub-Zero. If I walk into my house with shoes on, it's like my wife becomes a completely different person. Like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Like, the Hulk is a good description. I've often joked. Is that too much? (laughs) I have often joked. If you ever see, you know I hate to run, right? I I absolutely hate to run. Even at 145 pounds and, and being in wrestling and going to state and doing those things, I hated to run. But if you ever look out your window and you see me running down the street... It's not because of the police. It's not because of a bear. I mean, I'm running for my wife because she's angry, right? Because we fight. But what always brings us back together is Jesus. That's who always brings us to get back together. Our relationship is built around him. And when you fight, Jesus brings you back. Jesus brings you back. He never changes. He's always there. Any time that you need him, he's there for you. And you can count on him. It's the one constant you have in your life and in your marriage. There's this crazy idea that many of us have had before or that are, are currently having, which is there's the one. 
You guys ever heard this? I need to find the one. Right? Well, I want you to know that's a myth. That's a myth. I need to find the one that will complete me. I need to find the one that will make me happy. That's not true. It's Jesus that completes you. It's Jesus that makes you happy. And then when two completed people that know who Jesus is come together in a God-ordained marriage, that is a beautiful thing. That is what you're looking for. So don't fall for, fall for the trap of the one. When, 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 when God was creating man, it said this in verse 7, then, he form, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Now, I want to I show you something. I wanna, I'm going to use my wife to illustrate this. If, Trace, if you want to come forward. This is my beautiful wife. She puts up with all my shenanigans, right? Okay, so this is what we're going to do, Trace. You ready? We did not. She doesn't know what we're doing. We're going to shake hands. Okay? Yes. Now, what, now when we're shaking hands, what, what does that show? Maybe we're, maybe we're friends. Maybe. Maybe business partners, right? Maybe. Now, now, why don't you give me a hug? Give me a hug. <laughs> yes. So what does that show us? Love. We're, we're probably friends at minimum, you know, most likely. But then we're going to do this. I'm going to get as close to you as I can. You ready? And we're going to be like this. <laughs> what does that say? When we're like this, what does this say? I can literally feel her breathing. That's close. There's no doubt that we're close, right? Thanks, Trace. Because, like, you don't get to that close to somebody unless, like, you're married, right? Like, unless you're really close to them. <laughs> you're welcome, Pete. <laughs> think, think about this. God breathed into Adam. Now, there's a lot of implications there. But he wanted relationship with Adam. He wanted closeness with Adam. Right? Adam... Adam, God completed Adam. He was Adam's one. He was, the, he was everything Adam needed in that moment. He, do, you, do you guys see that? Like God made Adam and, and not Eve because he was built, God was built, Adam was built for with relationship with God. And that's what completes you. That's where your happiness comes from. But then, there's this thing that happens that is almost a little bit shocking. Because you have these six joyous moments where God steps back, he looks at what he's created, and he says, that's good. And then the seventh time he says, oh, that's very good. And then there's this shocking moment where God says, that's not good. That man should be alone. Right? Let me read let me read it to you. Verse 18. Then God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. And then what does God do? Have you ever thought about this? So God makes this statement, this broad statement. And the next thing you know, Adam is, make, is naming animals. Right? So think about this for just a minute. Here comes the pandas and, God, and Adam says, I'll call those guys pandas. And the next thing you know, here comes the horses. And Adam says, 
I'll call them horses. Notice I'm using them. The next thing you know, maybe the dog's coming. I'll, I'll call them dogs. Now, I have to believe that maybe at some point in time, Adam said, why do they got companions? Why is there male and female of them and I'm the only one of God's creation that there's not two? Why is that? Now, one thing we can maybe draw from that is, do you realize this, is that God completed Adam. Adam was built with, for relationship with God. Maybe, just maybe, God wanted Adam to see, like, he's going to be important. He's going to matter. It's not good that man should be alone. Maybe Adam doesn't see it because I'm what he needs. But it'll be good if there's two of them. You guys see that? It's an interesting thing. Either way, God declares it's not good for man to be alone. And so he causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. Now, that only happens a few times in the Scripture. Maybe I'll preach on that one day. But Adam's asleep. God goes and he takes a rib out of Adam. And this is significant. Because it's physically now, Eve is Adam. Physically. Right? Like, he took what is out of Adam and he created Eve. Physically. Physically, they're, they're one which is symbolic for what happened spiritually also, because they were becoming one. They were becoming one spiritually. And I love this. This was too good not to share. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said this. I want to read it to you, why it was significant that God took Adam's Eve, or excuse me, Adam's rib. He said this about the rib. He said, not made out of his head to top him, or out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that so good? Eve was taken out of Adam that they might embrace, and Adam would love her. Love her. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I preached about the first time poetry is used in Scripture, which is in Genesis 1, and how poetry is often an expression of, of love, right? We talked about that. And, and, and when God creates, creates Adam, he uses poetry to describe it. Well, here we are in verse 23. This is the second time poetry is used in Scripture. Do you guys know that? In verse 23, you don't get it as much in English, but in the original Hebrew, this is poetry. When Adam says this, he says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. That is poetry in Hebrew. Adam loves her. He, God completed him. God, made him. God was what he needed. And Eve was his companion. Eve was what, was what made everything very good. So now you have Adam and Eve. And you have this garden. Right? And it's just the two of them. And they're happy on their own. Right? Just Adam and Eve no interference, no one else, just the two of them, right? Wrong. You're not listening to my sermon here. There's three of them. It was Adam, Eve, and Jesus, God, in the garden. The three of them is what, what, what their relationship was all about. Forget this myth that it's about you and your spouse. No, it's about you, your spouse, and most importantly, Jesus. 
That is what we want our marriages to be about. Jesus-centered. Say it with me. Jesus-centered. It's a three-part relationship, not a two-part. Ecclesiastes 4 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to whom, him who is alone when he fa- falls and has no, another, not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though, man, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Two is good. Three is way better and, and not quickly broken. Amen? And here's why this is important. I'm tired of broken relationships in the church. I'm tired of disasters in the church. Now, let me say this. You cannot control your spouse and their actions. I get that. I understand that. But as you are, as you are married and Jesus is the center, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And if you hear this morning and, and your, your spouse is not a believer, pray for them. You can't force the issue, but allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Make Jesus the center of your marriage, and it will not be easily broken. So, what do I do now, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Every one of these sermons is going to be a little bit of homework. Okay, you guys ready for a little bit of homework? Can I give you a little bit of homework? Is that okay? Every one of these sermons is going to have a little bit of homework to them. So how do you make Jesus the center of your marriage? Now, there's a lot of things I could give you. So I just picked one. Pray with your spouse daily. Pray with them daily. And some of you right now are like, I can't do that. No way, no way, no way. Listen, it doesn't have to be for an hour. doesn't have to be for a half hour. It doesn't have to be some glamorous prayer that you're speaking old King James, right? It doesn't have to be that way. Certainly, you can grab your spouse by the hands and pray for a minute. Pray for 90 seconds. And when you do that, you're inviting Jesus to be the center of your relationship. It resets you. Jesus, you're what's important. Not my selfish needs, not her selfish needs. Jesus is what is important. Some of you are like, well, prayer's private, Steve. Prayer's a private time. Listen, if you have been married long enough, you've probably used the bathroom in front of your spouse. Just saying, just saying. You, you, you have probably made babies, right? Like there's no other person in your life. I will never forget the time that Tracy and I were married and, and I drank something after her. And she's like, don't drink after me. That's gross. I'm like, I just kissed you. Like, what do you mean? We're married. There's no other person that you can share your life with and be private with and your prayer needs than your spouse. So just grab them by the hands. Start, if you have to, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 minutes. Maybe one day that turns into five minutes. Maybe there's going to be something that you're going through in life that you're going to spend an hour praying with your spouse one day. That's going to be important. You're turning to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is hard. This is difficult. Be the center. 
of my marriage. Have dedicated time. You're praying with your spouse. Now, if you're here this morning and you're single or you're divorced, got good news for you. Start, don't be like some of the rest of us and be silly. Start building that into your life right now. Build the foundation of that into your life. So spend, five, spend a few minutes every morning praying for your future spouse. It's that simple. And you know what happens? Then you say, I do. You have the big special day. You walk down the aisle. And guess what happens? That's a normal thing in your life. Grab your spouse by the hands and you pray for them because you've been praying for them all along anyway. You're building that godly foundation. This is what I want to do this morning. So these sermons are going to build upon each other. Um, so that, that, that is the first one we want. Jesus-centered marriages. Say it with me. Jesus-centered. Jesus-centered marriages. I'm going to invite my wonderful wife up. She didn't know this was happening either, guys. So <laughs> I'm going to ask my wife. Sherry, if you want to come play for a second. I'm going to ask my wife to pray over the marriages and the church and to pray that God blesses them. And as we go through the word and as we are, as we are seeking his face, that, that we are going to have strong, healthy marriages, that people in Post Falls are going to go, Matt Karras, why are you guys have such a great marriage? Pete, Sherry, why do you guys have such a great marriage? Barry and Sarah, why do you guys have? And then at that moment, that's the moment we go, Jesus, he did it. He did it. Would you pray for the marriages this morning? Sorry, I guess I should have been more prepared. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you so much for bringing us here safely. And God, we thank you for marriage. We thank you for relationships. We thank you that that the most relation, the biggest and best relationship is with you. But we can use our relationship with you to help us in a relationship with our spouse. And all week I have been hearing the word restoration and I thought it was for my family, but I realized today it is for our marriages. And I pray a prayer of restoration over marriages and post falls in Jesus' name. I claim restoration over our marriages today. And that's not just a restoration of a broken marriage, but it's restoration of trust, restoration of hope, restoration of friendship in marriages as we as we as we continue in our marriage and as we build in our marriage our marriages change god and i just pray that as they change they don't grow apart but they grow closer to you i pray for every marriage in here god i pray for every husband in this room right now and people who are listening online and 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 husbands who are not here, I pray for them that you would instill a leadership in them that you they have never felt before. I pray that you would give the husbands in, this, in these marriages visions and dreams for their wife, vision and dreams for their family, and vision and dreams for their children, even today in Jesus' name. I pray for wives in here. I pray that for a desire to serve your husband. I pray for a desire to draw close to your husband, even closer than your children. And God, I just pray over each person in this room who is not married. God, I pray that you would give them a desire 
to serve you first and to be a man or woman of God next, and that you would bring them that relationship that only you can. We thank you for this, God, and I just pray for the next couple of messages that are about marriage, that you would bring in the people who need to hear them, the people who you need to restore in Jesus' name. We, I pray for people who, who are looking online even today that need this message, that you would bring it to them and that they can hear it and that you can speak to their heart. We thank you in Jesus' name.